Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is January 31st, and we are here to talk about the LSD narrative, liquid staking derivatives. Matt, I know you're excited for this one. How could you not be? Um, I am hyped. so this has been uh this has been the meta for like maybe two months now we did a whole bunch of episodes about the merge about the move to proof of stake and this lsd narrative has really picked up recently because of the uh, shanghai update right which basically lets people withdraw their eth that they have staked and locked up uh lets them pull that out uh so uh, LSD stands for liquid staking derivative. Matt, do you want to explain what that means? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so for a while now, um, I, I think something like two years, uh, you've been able to stake your ETH, right? Uh, and initially you were able to stake it to the beacon chain before like proof of stake even became the way the blocks were produced, right? Before the merge. Um, and, uh, uh, the issue with that is that it's a one-way it's a one-way action right now, right? Um, the plan was always to enable staking and then have the merge so that we switch to proof of stake and then enable uh, enable withdrawals or unstaking. Um, the problem there is that uh, crypto is full of FOMO, right? There's always something you can do with your capital, and you'd really rather um, have that that flexibility if you can, uh, like some some sort of liquid way of representing staked ETH. Um, mm. Enter liquid staking derivatives. Um, so uh, you know the, these are uh, these are effectively ERC twenties um, tokens that you get when you stake your ETH. That uh, each of them represents an IOU basically on one staked ETH. Um, we'll we'll get you know it's not that's not strictly true. A lot of times the there's a you know that as time goes by they'll represent more and more ETH because it's staked, and we we'll get in the specifics there. But um, that's sort of the idea is that it gives you a way of accessing liquidity on staked ETH that would otherwise be completely inaccessible. Okay, that makes sense. And they're basically just ERC-20 tokens, right? That's all they are, like fundamentally. Um, They're somewhat uh, specialized ERC-20 tokens, right? Um, Because, for example, like the supply of them has to be pretty flexible, Uh, As Mm. people are staking and unstaking, the mint and burn needs to be flexible. Um, They also, um, uh, like some of them will function on something called like a rebase token, right? Um, Where like you start out with, and this is the way that like Olympus DAO, if you remember that worked. Mm, um, Of course. Where, uh, (laughs) who wouldn't remember the (laughs) protocol and liquidity, uh, a stable coin that's not pegged. (laughs) um (laughs) the good old own days (laughs) um the uh the the way that it works is that like uh as you hold one of these tokens the the number that go in your wallet they they will increase that number right so you might start out with like one ste and then later you know you'll have 1.001 or something Mm. um so it's you know it's kind of just like an accounting thing yeah, so it basically takes those rewards and, and like compounds them for you, kind of. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, without you having to like get more like tokens. Um, okay. That, that's sort of the idea. 
Um, but yeah, they're effectively just fungible. They are fungible tokens, right? Mm -hmm. That's the core of it. And so like any other fungible token, they can be used in DeFi, right? They can be used for, um, providing liquidity for, um, borrowing and lending. Um, you can buy and sell, right? Um, and so it's a, it's a really important thing, I think, for the network overall, because being able to access liquidity on staked ETH means that people have more incentive to stake their ETH, and that increases the overall amount of security that the network has. Mm. Okay. And so we kind of addressed this question already, but normally we ask, why does this exist? Um, this exists in really because of that in-between period when you could start staking to the beacon chain um but not being able to withdraw and that period has been basically like two years or so now and it's coming to an end right so let's get into the companies that provide this solution of other reasons why it exists if you if you want to get into those real quick Um, okay yeah sure so so one of them is this notion around, you know, the minimum amount of stakeable ETH being 32 ETH. So right, if, right. You, if you want to stake less than 32 ETH, you basically have to use a service like this is the idea. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you delegate that ETH to someone else to stake on your behalf. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and, you know, that's meaningful, right? Because 32 ETH can be any amount of money really any day of, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, for a while it was reasonable and then it became very unreasonable and now it's like medium reasonable again. Um, but yeah, it's partially about being able to, to stake ETH in increments of less than 32. Um, so that's, that's one other reason, right? I mean, or you Um, can just trust like a, an exchange, like a Coinbase or Kraken, right. That does it for you. And they don't yeah. give you a token back. They basically just give you the rewards and you just trust them. Yeah, uh, that's that's the other model. And then, you know, Coinbase even like released their liquid staking derivative yeah. um, because people wanted tokens, right? You'd right, rather right. have some notion of like, I own some ETH that stakes somewhere if you can. Mm. Um, like what? The other, uh, hmm? Well, so like with Coinbase, right? CB ETH is their liquid staking derivative. Uh, what is the like benefit to either them or the users of having that rather than just having the ETH, I don't know, represented in your Coinbase account and you getting like, I don't know, accrued rewards? Uh, I guess the idea is it's for like interoperability, right? Um, yeah, so you can go and trade that elsewhere or you can go use that in other DeFi protocols. Yeah. Uh, so you could imagine like, uh, you know, I think the, you know, the, the most basic question is like, why, why not just like stick with Coinbase if you're going to trust them anyway and mm-hmm. just like accrue the rewards. Um, and the answer there is like, you might need liquidity on it. Right. Um, but you can imagine Coinbase could have, you know, like, uh, an internal asset. It's not actually a token on chain, right. It could just be like some ledger on their, uh, on their database somewhere that represents like how much like staked ETH you have, right? Um, the same way they do for for everything, right? Um, and so, you know, the bigger question is like, why issue the ERC-20 token um, rather than just like having these as like tradable balances within yeah. Coinbase itself? Um, and I, I think the reason for that is the interoperability angle. So, you know, if you want to 
if you want to be able to use it in DeFi in any way, um, say you want to lever it, right? Like, you know, borrow against your Coinbase, either, like, you know, yeah. uh, you, you can you can do that. Whereas like directly on Coinbase itself, like you, you wouldn't have access to, to those options. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So Coinbase ETH is not one of the most used ones really at all. Um, it's mostly Lido staked ETH and Rocket Pools staked ETH, right? Mm -hmm. um, so Lido was the first to come out with their product. Is that correct? Like this kind of whole thing started with uh, Lido and their product. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, Lido's been. Um, I mean, Lido's been around for a while now, right? Um, mm -hmm. And they're they're actually, you know, in fully functional mode on a lot of different blockchains. Um, so, for example, like on Solana, you can have staked Sol. Yeah, and it's complete. It's a complete product, right? Where you can stake it, you can unstake it, um, and you know, you can get your your native Sol back. Um, and uh, and you know. Lido, well, let, let's just describe sort of how it works a little bit, um, because there there are some inherent challenges, um, and it's interesting to think about like the design space around around these protocols, right? Um, so, uh, Lido has uh, a network of validators or like node operators, they call them. Um, yeah. And uh, it, they're basically whitelisted through governance, right? There, there are plans to try to make it permissionless and try to make it algorithmic. And on a couple of protocols, like uh, I want, I want to say on uh, is it Polkadot and Kusama? I think like they actually have it algorithmic, so that like it's not determined by humans; it's determined by by like a, a smart contract. Okay. Um, but on Ethereum and like Solana and all the others, it's it's a permissioned like whitelist of validators that they that the Lido DAO is trusting to operate these validators for them. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so the validators take a cut and the Lido DAO takes a cut. Um, and the, these operators are basically just chunks of 32 ETH that are going to run this staking service on your behalf. They'll take your ETH, they'll pull it, they'll give it to these operators that uh you know you know runs the necessary hardware whatever it is like which is very light but you need to do it in chunks of 32 eth to actually stake that eth and to collect the rewards to validate the chain and your lido is selecting these operators and you are kind of trusting lido to do that for you and in turn you get this liquid staked asset yeah st eth um exactly um and steth is is a rebase token right so um and that just means that it, it's like auto compounding basically right exactly as you hold it it like accrues the rewards right um and uh because you know it represents not just one eth it represents an eth that is earning like staking rewards on it yeah. um so uh um that's sort of the idea uh and you know, Lido really exists, I think, primarily because people, it's hard to stake ETH, right? <laughs> like, even I haven't, like, done it yet. I've looked into it, but I'm, I'm not actively doing it. I don't want to worry about downtime. You do get you do get penalized if your node goes down, right? Yeah. Um, I don't want to worry about, like, getting slashed and, like, upgrading when, like, forks happen. And I'm not a hardware operator, right? That's not my specialty. Right. Um, but uh, I might want to stake my ETH, right? And so I can, you know, 
I can do this like permissionlessly through Lido and get like a liquid asset back out of it that I can then use to do whatever I want. Um, yeah. Okay. And, so uh, can we uh, talk about the permissionlessly part of it? So um, you like what part of this is trusted, right? So there is you trusting Lido to like, how does this work? Like in a, in a functional sense, like, uh, if I wanted to stake through Lido, how exactly would I do that? And like, where am I actually trusting them? Yeah. Um, so when you stake through Lido, you go to their website, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, you click, you know, you, you, you send a transaction that sends your ETH to one of their like smart contracts. Um, from there, uh, you have to trust them to do what you expect. And, and, you know, and then they send you STETH tokens in return. So that part is like programmatic, right? Yeah. Um, from there, what they actually do with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, basically what the smart contract does is it's expecting, some value of ETH and it's just going to credit your wallet with that equivalent amount of ST ETH. Is that right? Yeah, that's the idea. Um, And then from there, uh, you have to trust them to actually do what you wanted them to do with it, which is to send it to, um, to a node operator who's going to, and and in in practice, so there's like, I think 40 or 50 node operators in total. Um, And, uh, each of them is operating like multiple computers, right? So multiple like chunks of 32 ETH that, yeah. that are like each acting as a validator. Um, and uh, so you have to trust Lido to send this to like whoever's next in line to create the next validator, right? right? So somebody somebody's always waiting to like get up to like 32 ETH, right? And Lido, is, and, they're, and they're just sort of waiting in line for Lido to like send that ETH to them so they can start staking it. Yeah. Um, that part that part is trusted, right? Um, because the you know the very least like the Lido DAO needs to needs to execute on that, right? Um, yeah. And uh, at that point, your ETH is like, you know, it, it can belong to anyone who has that signature. So you know, initially, that's the Lido DAO. It's at least decentralized, if not like trust. You know, it is trusted, but it's at least like pretty decentralized. Mm-hmm. Um. Where it gets a little bit trickier is once it gets delegate once it gets delegated to one of the node operators, right? Um, so, as a node operator, you can do this one of two ways, right? Uh, just like in in concept, um, you can run it um, making your own address, like the withdrawal address, mm-hmm. um, or you could make it like a smart contract address, the withdrawal address. I think okay. um, I think on Lido, the, it, you just make it your own address because um, I think when they designed this whole protocol, like withdrawals, like weren't really like the design space, like wasn't really known, mm. um, and uh, and so you're basically trusting them to stake that ETH for you and operate the node in a way that doesn't get your ETH slashed. Mm. Okay, so. So you're trusting Lido to send the ETH to the node operator, and then you're trusting the node operator to stake that ETH and earn the rewards and not like fuck it up. Right. Okay. And then that was the kind of whitelist process that you're talking about, right? Where Lido has whitelisted certain node operators to operate on their behalf. And that's the second trusted component. Um, 
And how can like you as a user, can is there any way you can verify that this is all happening? Or is it just that the STETH is accumulating rewards and that's basically it? I mean, yeah, you you can verify that it's all happening, right? Like you can trace the ETH as it as it goes to each of the validators. Like they they have like the addresses up, um, and you can monitor in real time like how much ETH is being staked, how many rewards are being accrued. Um, so but the reality like, of it is, yeah, good. Well, the reality of it is that once your ETH leaves your hands, it's no longer yours, right? It yeah. doesn't really like your ETH doesn't represent your ETH in the system. The whole yeah. thing is a collective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of what I was asking is like, because you're sending it to a smart contract, right? And then from there, it's kind of hard to trace like just your portion or, you know, like what you have a claim on exactly. And so that part of it is very much trusted. Yeah. And look, you know, there's a chance that like, so your claim isn't really on your ETH that you staked, right? Your claim is on whatever ETH is available to be withdrawn, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and so if like if something bad happens and like some of the ETH gets lost, right, once withdrawals are enabled, it's going to be about who's fastest to withdraw. It's not yeah. going to be about like, oh, my ETH wasn't lost, right, because my ETH went to this validator because there's no way for you to even specify that within Lido, yeah. right? Um, it becomes like a, a socialized like risk. Right. Um, but, you know, everyone's uh, and, and I think that's why it has to be trusted. Right. Um, because, you know, any number of nefarious things could happen. And um, even though your incentives are generally aligned, you they're aligned as long as the actors are good. Right. Mm. Um, so none of these operators want to get slashed because they earn they earn a fee based on the staking rewards that they generate. Right. Um, so in total, Lido takes 10% and it splits it between them and the node operators. Um, I see. Okay. And, and so as a node operator, like you have this incentive to like be a good actor to like validate the chain, right. Not have downtime, create blocks, like get MEV, whatever. Um, but you know, that's only if you're like a good operator, Right. Mm. If you're a bad actor, like you could probably just steal the ETH, right? Um, yeah. And and so uh, that that's where it has to be permissioned, at least in in that model. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and so I, I guess that was just basically to go through like where the points of centralization still are, because it's not like this is a completely decentralized option either. Right, like it is permissionless uh, in the sense that you are free to interact with it, uh, you know, in claim the rewards and use that product, and you don't have to go through like a centralized party. But it's not really like a decentralized solution or anything like that uh, at this point. So, uh, I mean, we do have a deep dive kind of on Steeth, uh, Steeth, and uh, did a bunch of deep dives on the merge as well. But there is another option uh called rocket pool uh do you want to get into some of the differences between lido stake deeth and rocket pool um is there anything else you want to touch on with uh lido stake deeth i mean i i think it's worth just highlighting that like lido is like by far the dominant player in this space yeah 
right um in terms of like the on-chain like native um like liquid staking derivatives right um uh, i, th- I want to say it's like 75 percent of the market probably more is yeah. uh is is captured by lido so it's absolutely massive mm-hmm. um and and there have been a lot of criticisms that like this is strong trust risk right where you're making a lot of trust assumptions along the way as you stake your ETH through lido um and not only that there's centralization risk as well right because um because you do have to trust these people you you know the number of people that you're able to trust is like necessarily limited right right um and and so that that creates the centralization vector as well um where you know you need to spend a fair amount of time like looking into every single potential node operator um and making sure that like they're not just going to like steal all the funds um or like fuck with like you know uh like getting everything slashed like just for the lulls right um yeah. and uh and so like it it creates a centralization risk on on another front too though uh which is like uh in terms of block production right um and this is true just across all staking providers not just like the liquid ones right um when you have just a small number of entities that are uh that are validating a large portion of the network um and you have like economic incentives for them like capturing mev um you you have this like really tricky space where as a node operator you want to get paid as much as possible right mm-hmm. um Getting paid as much, and so you know, MEV. We've talked about this a number of times. Go to, go check out our deep dive. But um, basically, MEV is one of these things where you can be skilled at it. Someone out there is more skilled than someone else, mm-hmm. right? And they're willing to pay more for, to the block producer to make their block versus someone else's block because they can afford to, right? Yeah. Um, and that's really where the centralization stems from: is that like someone out there is going to be the best at capturing MEV. And mm. just by following economic incentives alone, um, by default, most of the blocks are going to, or, you know, many of the blocks are going to be theirs, potentially all of the blocks, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, uh, you know, in ETH2, there's something called MEV Boost, uh, or, right. you know, in the proof of stake ETH. Um, and this is like uh, a software that you can run that has like a flag in it for like where you're going to listen for potential new blocks. So you have all these MEV searchers and they're each proposing like, I'll pay you this much to make this the next block. And someone else is saying, I'll pay you this much to make that the next block. And there are different, you can think of them like channels that they like radio channels that they can be listening in on. Right. Okay. Um, and, uh, and they, you know, they're, they're called, uh, relayers. Right. Um, and, uh, there are different like believe flavors of relayer, right? So some of them, like Flashbots, for example, OFAC compliant, right? They're not yeah, going to give uh, you any blocks that touch Tornado Cash, right? Okay. That's a censorship risk right there. Because if the if the best MEV searchers are using Flashbots to um to blast out their offers for the next block, mm-hmm. um, then just from from that alone, like the economic incentive will always be to publish blocks that are excuse me, that are not, um, that are, you know, that are OFAC compliant. Yeah. Right. Um, and so th- this is pretty dangerous, right? Because it creates like an economic incentive to censor. Yeah, right? um, I see. And it, like, is there a- an alternative to that, right? Like it, to flashbots or is it that 
Flashbots, which is doing this MEV boost, is kind of following this OFAC compliant route. And they're the only ones providing this service. And so everybody kind of has to use them, right? Like, will so there not the, just be another competitor that comes up? Yeah, luckily there, there are a lot, right? And mm -hmm. they come in different flavors, which I find really interesting. So, for example, um, Boxroot is a B-L-O-X-R-O-U-T. Mm -hmm. um, Boxroot uh, makes a couple of different flavors. They have one that's just like maximize profit. That mm -hmm. will always choose the best, the the most valuable block, right, mm -hmm. to maximize rewards. Uh, but they have another one which is um, ethical MEV, mm. where it doesn't include any front running or sandwich attacks, right? Wow. Um, and it, but it'll take the most profitable one outside of that. Um, I, cool. I think that's really interesting because uh, you know, in if we were applying like traditional financial market like ethics or like law, even. Um, like you could see a world where like it, there's a, a a strong compliance reason to you know to run the ethical one. Like yeah. maybe legally you're worried about getting arrested for enabling front running, yeah. um, and so you choose the the ethical flavor. Hmm. Um, it, you know. Yeah, I wonder uh, I how like... that holds up in a court of law. But yeah, that's interesting, <laughs> right? Because it's like you could say you're trying to avoid market manipulation in certain ways, like. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, I think we're going to see business models around this where, um, like, I for, uh, I'm spacing on the name of the company, but they basically make a software that listens to the mempool, right? Um, and uh, it listens for hacks. So you give it, like, it, so it's constantly scanning the mempool, and it's looking for transactions, and it's simulating any transaction that interacts with any of your contract. Like, say you're a protocol, right? Um, you pay these guys, they're listening to the mempool, they're monitoring it. And if they see any transactions that interact with your protocol, they'll simulate like what it does. And you can give them parameters like, hey, like if you see something, some transaction that touches any of our contracts and we wind up losing more than $10,000 out of it, like tell us and like we'll even give you a pre-signed pause transaction that maybe pauses like borrow lend or whatever, mm. right? Um, and insert that at a much higher gas price than the attacker um, in order see. to like, in order to stop the, like stop the hackers from, from getting access to whatever funds. Mm. Um, so if you're Ave, you might pay them be like, look, any transaction that, you know, decreases Ave TVL by more than 5%, like go ahead and like put in a pause there um, so that we can like take a look at it. Right. Um, okay. That's yeah. That makes sense. Um, and, uh, and so I, th I think you're going to see, like interesting things where like you know really the relayers should be offering this right um because they're the ones that are directly suggesting new blocks right um and you can imagine a relayer that's willing to work with uh with protocols to you know rather than putting in because the pause transaction solution is pretty imperfect right it's not great to have ave even have the ability to issue just like a cross the board like freeze right. on new asset borrows or whatever yeah Right, it could even be dangerous, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's not clear exactly what the what you would want to program that thing that that kill switch to do. Um, and then there's issues around governance, right? Like you know, the DAO didn't vote to 
you know, you can't have the DAO feasibly voting every block, you know, um, but right. it, it needs to be like a kill switch that, that's built in to be like executable in like a single transaction on a moment's notice. That yeah. creates, you know, some trust and centralization risks. And then what if like the protocol winds up worse off because, you know, actually this is like a reasonable transaction that's supposed to go through. And then, uh, you know, there's like some huge issue with like, you know, like if there's like wild price volatility and maker pauses the minting of new die like yeah. that could actually be problematic right um so uh so the where you know where this becomes like kind of interesting is in like i as a protocol could pay flashbots to monitor for these transactions and not send them not send those blocks mm. right to okay. the people that are listening to them as like the as the streamers yeah. Um, and this is all like kind of the, the root kind of cause, like why we're going so deep into this is because of like in proof of stake, there's this economic incentive to use these kinds of services, right? Which lead to all these different kinds of censorship possibilities. Um, I mean, there and, was and a, like, there, there was it, a strong incentive before, right? It's just that like the block rewards are lower now because we don't have to pay people to do proof of work anymore. Uh, we yeah. have to subsidize that. So as a percent of the like block reward, um, they're actually much bigger. Yeah. And so with like something like Lido or with any kind of, uh, you know, liquid staking derivative, like, are they all going to all kind of centralize? Like right now, what is this current state? Like, what does that look like? Are they all basically using flashbots? Um, you know, like, are, like, you know, is there like a certain percentage that's not using, uh, like, flashbots or anything like that? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, this is, this is like an ongoing topic, right? In like the, the Lido governance forum, the Rocket Pool governance forum. Rocket Pool, for example, lets you uh, select if you're a validator, like any of like six different uh, relayers that you want to listen to. Okay. Um, and you can you can choose that, and you can even choose to just like not do that and listen just for general transactions. Um, I see. That's one thing that uh, that you can do is have this like diversity of potential channels that the DAO mm. allows you to listen to. Okay. Um, the other thing that you can do is, um, and I, I really like this, is you have a parameter that says, look, if I'm not going to pay, get paid much for taking like a pre-constructed block from one of these guys, I'll just make mm -hmm. a regular block, right? Mm -hmm. And and by doing that, like, and th they introduced this parameter, I think, over the summer last year, um, or not over the summer, it must have been over the winter because, you know, for a mistake, uh, a few yeah. months ago, they introduced this, um, and, uh, and it substantially decreased the, the percent of blocks that were getting built by like flashbots, uh, okay. for example. Um, Interesting. and, and so people weren't actually getting paid that much more to provide this like potential censorship mm -hmm. avenue. Um, and they just said, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> like, I'll just turn it off. Like if I'm not getting mm. paid, you know, if, if I'm getting paid, like, two dollars more uh I, I don't really care uh like i'd uh, you mm -hmm. know I'd, I'd rather like not contribute to the issue here um i see and okay long term i need this system to be robust to these sorts of things so it's in my right. own interest so does like does lido also let you uh like do the same thing as rocket pool just kind of uh you know select which channel uh i'm not totally sure uh okay. 
but you know i I think like whatever answer we give right now it will be stale in Mm. you know in a couple of months um there are like governance proposals now uh, like live on the on the lido governance forum like to suggest like maybe we should let people choose from this list of like pre-approved like providers Mm. okay the 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 crucial difference though is that like lido is permissioning they're also whitelisting at like an operator level whereas rocket pool is not um what does that mean so with Lido, they have this whitelist of people that are allowed to like stake, do the staking part, right? Yeah. With Rocket Pool, anybody can join okay. as a staker. Okay. Um, and so they kind of have to like think more about like the parameters that they're willing to accept. Whereas with Lido, it could be a handshake deal, right? Mm. Um, it's much more ha- much more is happening in the in the human space than mm. is happening on on Rocket Pool. So is that the core difference between the two of them? What are some other differences between Rocket Pool and Lido? So Rocket Pool is actually wildly different, which I find okay. like pretty interesting. And it, and hmm. it feels like it's built mu- to be much more decentralized and okay. incumbent in that it has more risks. So hmm. it's pretty cool. Um, or it has a different set of risks, right? Um, like yeah, Lido yeah. has much more, much, much, much more trust. Uh but uh and whereas like on rocket pool the risks are more economic um than they are in in the trust okay how does um, does that work so in rocket pool you have like two kinds of participant right you have um you have like a node operator that's someone that wants to like operate like a staking machine right Mm -hmm. and then you have people that want to like just delegate stake so for lido all of the like normal participants they we're just like depositing eth and delegating it right um in rocket pool actually community members like normal people like you and me can do both um mm, and okay I see. Um, uh the so just to start right like um why would you do this through Rocket Pool if you're uh, like already setting up a bot, you know, like a, a machine to like stake for you, right? Yeah. Um, and and the answer is that you get more capital efficiency. So with Rocket Pool, you can stake with just sixteen ETH, and Rocket Pool, uh. like you know, community members, like delegators, they'll come in, and you know, you'll get the other sixteen ETH from them. Okay, so, and what is the reason to split that up like half and half? Right, like, why not do smaller increments? Like, is there a reason for the sixteen number? Uh, yeah. Um, the uh, well, so uh, I mean, you, it's basically like the minimum amount you can do, um, and still make sure that like it's economically sound. So, like, mm. if you think about like what happens when you get slashed, right? Um. Say like uh, so you're you're running a node, right? You know the the operator's running a node, and they start out with thirty two ETH, um, and they get slashed. Like they're you know maybe they're uh, double signing, maybe like their computer goes down, um, and they don't they don't spin it back up, um, whatever. And now their uh, their stake is down to twenty eight ETH. Let's say okay, right? Yeah. Um, when uh like the if, if they ever want to get that you know if they want to like just shut it down and like get their eth back out um they'll only get 12 eth so the community members are still getting their 16 eth out right oh um and uh you know and so the up to the first 16 eth like uh the uh, the like delegators are still being made whole mm. that's sort of like the the core idea behind 16 and 16 yeah. um the 
the rest though you might be wondering is like what you know (laughs) then what right like what if it just goes to zero eth right um uh and and basically the way that rocket pool tries to solve for this is they say we have this token the rpl token right um and what you're going to do with it is when you start staking for rocket pool you have to do two things or three things right you register your node right with like rocket pool and you tell us like i'm doing this um you deposit your 16th in like a special staking contract right um and uh and then you uh and then you also deposit a bunch of rpl token okay as collateral right interesting um yeah and and you can deposit uh, as much as you want anywhere from 10 percent to 150 percent of the value of your 16th wow okay and what is the point of that collateral so let's say you get slashed and your eth starts out at 32 eth and it goes down to like uh, I don't know, uh, 15, right? Um, so the so the first 16 are going to get used to just pay back the the delegators, right? So yeah. that they're made whole. Yeah. Uh, but now you've been penalized 17 ETH, and so you have to make up that one ETH difference somewhere. Yeah, so okay. what what the protocol will do is it'll take that RPL that, you, that the operator put up as collateral and sell it for ETH. In order to make the in order to okay. make the pool overall whole, I got it. Okay, um, and so um, theoretically, you said you can uh, put up anywhere from ten percent to one hundred and fifty percent collateral, right? Like, what is the point of having just ten percent collateral? What if you do get staked? What if you do get slashed like twenty ETH of the thirty-two? Right, then you're not going to have enough collateral to make up that difference. Like, correct? What, yeah. Yeah, how does that how does that play out? Um, the way the way that it plays out is um, you have an incentive, right? So so when you put up that collateral, you earn a little bit of yield on it, um, and this is where I think things start to get just a little bit fragile. You mm. earn yield on it in the form of new RPL tokens. Okay. So your incentive is, and currently RPL is is inflating at about a five, 5% annual rate, right? Okay. So it's not a lot of yield, but yeah. this is all it's being used for pretty much is um, it, it's being used to pay people to to stake it, right? Or to mm. like put it up as, like it's, it is kind of staking, right? Because it does get slashed if like you misbehave. Right, yeah. unlike staking like <laughs> ohm <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, like it actually is, this this genuinely is actually staking, right? You're putting yeah. up some stuff as your skin in the game, um, yeah. and you earn five percent yield just from inflation on it. Um, so, uh, you know, currently I was looking at the stats; something like forty percent of the total RPL actually is being used for this, which is pretty mm. crazy um you know what i mean uh but like Mm -hmm. i I guess the people that are running these like validators believe that the protocol is kind of important and so they think that like earning you know they're gonna buy and hold rpl anyway they might as well buy and hold it and earn five percent yield on it right yeah okay that makes sense like the reason behind all this too right like having that collateral and like basically having to secure the other half of that is so that like rocket pool can trust the people that are like running these uh 
you know, like basically operating these nodes um, because otherwise they don't really have a way to vet. Like they don't have an allow list kind of uh, thing that uh, Lido does. And so to, to make sure that the people that they're allowing to like run these, these nodes are trusted, you know, you have to put up this kind of collateral. Is, is that right? Exactly. Um, and I would like draw a parallel to, uh, to lending, right? Where in the, you know, in the off-chain world, you can get a loan because you get vetted, you get whitelisted for that loan, right? Mm-hmm. And you, yeah. um, you, you pay, you pay some interest on it. Um, in, um, in the on-chain world, though, if you're trying to make things permissionless, you need to have them collateralized to some degree. Yeah. Right. Um, and you can think about uh, you can think about this almost like an Ave thing, where like you're over collateralized, right? You're putting up mm-hmm. your 16ETH and you're getting lent 16ETH, but you're putting up something else too. Yeah. You're putting yeah. up Rocket Pool RPL token, right? And right. so you're you're over collateralized on that, um, at, at least in theory. Um, obviously, there's the risk though, right? Of like. If the RPL token crashes, yeah. um, you know, like then then what, right? Uh, it, it's kind of interesting because basically um, the only uh, because it's all done with smart contracts, right? It's not like the um, it's not like the people that operate the validators can actually just rug, um, like they do have to go through like a withdrawal call on the smart contract. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they can't just like steal the other person's 16th, right? Yeah. Um, it's mostly if they get slashed, like if, if they're doing like inappropriate things and they get slashed. Uh, yeah. And that's the big concern. Yeah, exactly. And and it's a concern when they've already been slashed 16 ETH, I guess. Yeah. Like over um, half. Yeah. They have to get slashed over half. And they have to look at the balance of their RPL tokens and be like, this isn't worth it for me mm-hmm. uh, to like yeah. run an, a, a validator, which like it's very cheap to run a validator. Um, mm. So I, I don't think it's like a huge risk. Um, but what you would get in that scenario is like as the value of RPL's token goes down, the incentive for people to post it as collateral also goes down. You're going to yeah. see people just buying and staking the minimum. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, you have to have some capital tied up there. There's opportunity cost, Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, and earning 5% yield on something that you think is worthless, like is is effectively 0% yield. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was the one of the first things I was going to point out is that the capital efficiency is definitely lower, it seems um, in certain ways. Right. Like you could see, almost see a world where you would just go in i don't know like i don't know there's probably other ways to be more efficient than kind of what's going on here right even if you didn't have the full 32 eth even if you just had 16 eth like maybe you did just go through lido just like like looking at the incentives uh yeah i mean uh kind of right (laughs) um so Rocket Pool also takes a lower fee though. So um, mm. so they take you know on the low end they'll take five percent, on the high end they'll take twenty percent, um, and it's like it's driven by like supply and demand of okay. like how many people want to um, 
want to like delegate their ETH versus like how many people are willing to take those delegations. Um, And so just thinking through it, like if everyone wants to delegate their ETH and no one's down to take delegations, then um, they would lower the fee, right? Uh, In order to like incentivize people to, to spin up more validators. Mm. Um, But uh, you know, it's somewhere between five and 20%. um, And you got to think long-term they're probably targeting something lower than, than Lido so that it, at least they can be like competitive. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Lido's hmm. at 10. Um, okay. the other thing is that, uh, it's slightly less trust. I would say like the trust here is much more decentralized. That's the core thing, right? Like yeah. the, 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 the sheer diversity of actors you can have in the system is much, much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, the there is one issue right which is that there's no way to know for sure how many people or like entities are actually running rocket pool validators right um because in you know and this is something a lot of people forget a lot of times in crypto like in crypto you can never prove that someone that that two addresses don't belong to the same person right yeah um that that's just like a fact of it right mm-hmm. uh and so you know when you look at like daily active users on a on some kind of dap that's always some approximation because it's really daily active wallets right mm-hmm. and so there you know this is one issue with like trying to have a one person one vote system anywhere in crypto is that like it without some kind of off-chain oracle it's fully impossible yeah. um because you can never as a large actor, you can always pretend to be many small actors. Yeah, you you can't verify one person at all, right? Like it's yeah, it's tough. Um, so it's hard okay. to know how many people are operating it, and it's mm-hmm. it is hard to know whether truly Rocket Pool is more decentralized or or not. Um, but what you can point to is say like, look, it has the potential to be right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like with Lido, it's so it's so much more permission. It's just much more centralized. Yeah. Um, so with, uh, with rocket pool, they, you know, um, like worst case scenario, you know, the ETH goes to, you know, someone gets slashed to zero, right. Uh, uh, the RPL tokens are, you know, sold off and it's not enough to cover it. Um, those losses are kind of socialized, right. Um, the, because the protocol is collecting fees for like mm. insurance effectively. Right. Um, there is one more interesting thing about Rocket Pool, uh, which is um, you can participate effectively in like fee pooling. Um, mm. So that's a little bit like mining pools back in the day, right? Okay. Uh, you can you can elect to participate in a smoothing pool. They call it um, where you just kind of like you you flip the switch and you're and the software is really easy to use. Like you download the software to do all of this stuff and it's just like one like relatively graphical interface and you oh, can okay. flip things on and off you can choose which like relayer you want to listen to mm-hmm. and you can you can uh, alter like whether or not you're participating in the smoothing pool um but basically every like however many blocks um everyone comes together and says okay how much ETH did you guys get right uh and then you split it i evenly. see um, okay which i find like pretty cool right it's a model that i hadn't heard much about um in the proof of stake world but it's obviously the dominant model in the proof of work world right hmm. okay um all right so those are those are most of the big different i mean yeah it sounds like they're completely different models um is there any is there like a third model to talk about like we talked about the centralized exchange model um but uh any other like 
liquid staking derivative to speak of, or is it mostly Rocket Pool, Lido, and that's basically it? Yeah, and you know Coinbase ETH. Um, yeah, Coinbase those ETH. are those are pretty much the ones that people track. Uh, if there's interesting projects in the space, like hit us up on Twitter, uh, and we'll we'll yes, uh, look we'll, into we'll it cover sure. them. Uh, all um, right, Matt. The big question now: uh, bullish or bearish liquid staking derivatives? Um, I'm I'm extremely bullish, right? Uh, because I think like you give people more options, and mm-hmm. that's always a good thing. Um, yeah. and I also think that, um, you, you get better, better capital efficiency, right? Um, mm. it's just the nature of it, right? Having the option to sell something that you didn't have the option to sell before, uh, will enable people to enter in a much safer way, right? And it'll enable people yeah. to take more risk, which I like, I think, you know, crypto needs, needs more avenues to, to do that. <laughs> to take more um, risk. Uh, so real quick, what does the future, like, you know, once Shanghai upgrade is, is, uh, you know, kind of goes through, what does the future look like for these liquid staking uh, tokens, right? Because at that point, you can get your ETH, like you can withdraw your ETH directly from the beacon chain. Um, so theoretically you would be able to like if you had 32 eth it's much more easy to have that liquidity right if you don't have 32 eth you'll probably use one of these services still uh, you know or you'll use a centralized one but um what do you think the future kind of holds so i think like if you think like mechanically about how it works right um uh as uh like it's say you're just like self-staking right um you you're gonna have to and you want to like unstake you have to enter a withdrawal queue and Mm. the queue like the amount of time that it takes that queue to process is dependent on two variables right it's the like total amount of eth staked and then the total amount of eth in general um and so if it's like a large percentage change that uh that queue takes longer to process similarly on like lido or uh rocket pool you're gonna have like or coinbase you'll have queues as well right so you'll tell them hey i want to i here's here's one staked eth i want to unstake it please um and they'll say okay cool let me just see if we have any like available right now oh yeah we don't have any available right now like let me submit like a withdrawal request Um, i see and then they first you have to get through through the queue just on the like staker side and then you have to get through like the the internal pool, like the Lido queue. Mm. Um, and so, you know, in practice, like if you see like large like liquidity demand, um, you're gonna wind up with a with a very similar thing that you see today, which is that like these things aren't instantly unstakeable, right? There is a period of time that you have to wait. And and like all proof of stake blockchains have this. Like Solana has like a three day queue. Right. Mm, um, okay. Like uh, Polygon, I, I can't remember. Um, Luna had a 30 day queue. Um, <laughs> and at, at one point, at one point, staked Luna was trading at like 30 cents on the dollar or probably less um, relative to regular Luna, uh, just because mm. everybody wanted liquidity and nobody wanted to wait the 30 days because the bet was that there was an 85% chance that this thing was going to be worth less in, yeah. you know, in, uh, in 30 days. Right. Um, uh, or, you know, the expected value of holding this thing 30 days is minus 85% <laughs> from, from, from where it already was, which is probably down like 99%. So, um, like, 
there there's still going to be like fluctuations right in the in the the pegs of these things in the relative value of like the staked asset versus the uh the native asset um Mm -hmm. just because of that time value of money and the potential for like liquidity demand um but uh you know in the in the long long run it doesn't make a ton of sense for unstaked eth to be like a store of value right it right. should be uh, some form of staked eth right yeah. um i mean if anything think about mm-hmm. yeah i mean if anything it just makes uh, like liquid staking i mean it, if not more valuable at least as valuable right like because you still have like the liquidity problem of like yeah you got to wait a few days also if you don't have 32 eth you're still going to use the one of these things so yeah, yeah, or you don't feel like running your own hardware, right? Um, yeah. But but where I see things going is that like it doesn't make sense for like ETH to be unstaked, right? right. So um, so if you think about like uh, say you're putting up an offer on OpenSea for like a Budgie Penguin, which is obviously everyone's favorite collection, mm-hmm. um, you put up your offer and you're tying that ETH up, right? Uh, and it has to be like sitting there tied up. It should be earning yield still. Right. Like you should be bidding on, you know, on like NFTs or whatever using your staked assets. Right. Mm, um, yeah. Rather than like unstaked assets. And mm. I, I would I would sort of think about of it as similar to like um, if you have like a savings account, you're earning some yield there. Right. Mm. As opposed to just like holding all of your cash in a vault somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, it's a similar thing. It's like this. You're getting diluted if you don't. Um, yeah. and the, mm. you, you have increased opportunity costs. And the nice thing about crypto relative to like dollars, right. Is that like all of these tokens follow or generally follow like an ERC 20 like uh, standard. And so yeah. you can actually have people able to place bids. I mean, Seaport right now on OpenSea, their contract allows you to buy things using ERC 20s. So you could today, like if the, if the front end allowed it, like place a bid using, Lido staked ETH or like Ave ETH or whatever um, on there rather than like native ETH, um, which like improves the security of the network and the overall capital efficiency. Um, and it's, you know, it's not possible in the dollar world, right? Where like, say I have some money yeah, market fund, right? The yeah, fungibility, can't I can't buy stocks with it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, um, that's a good point. Yeah. So it also drives basically all, if once that, becomes a reality it basically drives all the eth to be staked which as you mentioned increases the security of the network so um, yeah yeah that's a that's a nice flywheel effect um, um okay Matt, yeah go ahead one one other thing just a teaser and we should do a video on eigenlayer at some point um uh but i think that that would be my big third prediction or second prediction i don't know uh one of my big predictions would be that um that lido starts to operate an eigenlayer like protocol uh Mm. where uh this is uh eigenlayer is the like a proposed like protocol that would allow you to take your eth and stake it on on ethereum uh and then also have that eth uh, used as stake on a different blockchain that would then mm. be able to like slash you if you misbehave there too. Oh, um, very cool. The the trouble is that like basically the way that you do this is by like taking like liquid staked like 
you know, LSDs and like depositing them into like the eigenlayer contract. Uh, and basically at that point, you're trusting Lido yeah, and you're trusting it's... Eigenlayer uh, and you're trusting the protocol developers. Right. Why do we need Eigenlayer at all? Right. Mm. Like this is a very natural business for, for uh, Lido to get into. You're already trusting yeah. them. You might mm -hmm. as well con continue trusting them. Right. Like, and Makes not like sense. add, you know, in trust, like every, every additional thing you have to trust is more risk. Right. Um, so I think, uh, you know, trust isn't like assets, right. Like more does not mean diversification. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's uh that that's my that's my next hot take on on Lido is basically like, I, like I think that. they should operate an eigenlayer like uh, protocol. Yeah, I like that prediction. Um, all right, Matt, do you have any final thoughts, predictions, uh, notes to leave uh, the people with? I mean, uh, this episode touched on everything, right? Um, we touched on staking, decentralization, and we got to say LSD like a hundred times. Um, it's <laughs> what true. could be better? It's true. <laughs> All right. This has been another deep dive from the Decent Crypto Podcast. We'll be back later this week covering everything that happened. Till next time. Stay decent. Uh, none of this was financial advice, legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. Uh, if you're looking for advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Uh, until next time, stay decent.